0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Amen. Thank you so much, Band. You guys are really cool. Maranik, well done. First time she led. Really, really amazing just to see you stepping out. Cool. Yes, give her a big hand. Um, Don't run away too far. Um, Really want to just encourage us, and hopefully it goes without saying, to, to never get sidetracked around what church is. Takes a variety of different forms with Jesus and about meeting with His people, and it takes a variety of different forms at different times and it looks different at different moments. Um, But for us to to be willing to throw our our programs and our agendas out and just to meet with Him is what it's about. Um, So encourage us in that. Let's let's press on to into that and let's allow Jesus to shape our gathering time. Sometimes it's going to look exactly like we thought it would and planned, and other times it's going to look exactly like we didn't think it was going to be. And whichever way he goes, let's always be willing and, and flexible and, and get excited and encouraged by it, and not get dismayed when he turns things around just a little bit. Um, obviously, last week we had relationship week, which I enjoyed. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did enjoy presenting it. Um, Those sessions, I haven't uploaded last week's sessions up on the podcast yet, but there are some other sessions if you haven't listened to them yet. You're welcome to listen to them. I want us to look at two passages of Scripture, which we probably know at least the story around them pretty well. And as I was reading them recently, I just sensed the Lord, just allow me to read them. From a slightly different viewpoint and a different angle. And the first one is in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6. And we pick up the story with, you know, the first line kind of sets the stone, stone, sets the tone for a large part of what's coming. And it starts the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Kind of a story that starts with that you pretty know, it's not starting in a good place. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. I don't think that is an indication of their intelligence. But anyway, and they arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. And then they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And I get the picture here when I I read this of a people who feel overwhelmed, a people who feel that right now life is too much, a people who perhaps don't know which direction to turn. And I think in our lives, we sometimes find ourselves in these situations. We find ourselves in situations where it feels like it doesn't matter which way we turn, just like we're going to get a little piece of victory, the marauder comes. And, Just like we're about to be able to grow our crops and we have our first harvest, the Midianites are there again. And I was saying this morning, I I think we easily underestimate, some of us, the trauma we've gone through over the last two and a half years. The last two and a half years, which have been unprecedented at least in our lives and our parents' lives, in the change that happened, how some of your students would be able to, who were just speaking, I think it was towards the end of last year, speaking to some students who were just finishing up their studies and they missed out on their entire student life. They didn't have a student life which their brothers and sisters had been speaking about, the, the exciting of just being young and in a sense free and being able to enjoy life in a separate, different way to how you were at school before sort of the reality of, of adult, adult life kick in. I think most of us have stories of the things that we were able to do as students. I'm not even talking about the naughty thing, stuff with friends. And they lost that. They had none of that. Their brothers and sisters coming after them, they're going to have that again. But it felt to them as if that part of their life had been stolen. For some of us, it was a career thing. For some of us, it was a family moment or not moment that was meant to happen, that didn't happen, or that didn't, wasn't meant to happen. It, it did happen, but there's been just so much upheaval in the last couple of years. and I think some of us haven't necessarily taken time to just slow down and, and process what we've been through. Some of us, as we're still grappling with that, we, we feel a little bit overwhelmed, just like the people of Israel have. And then there's verse at the end, or this phrase at the end, which is too often at the end in our lives, where it says, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. After seven years of struggle, just as a little aside, little asterisk, let's not wait seven years of struggle before we cry out to the Lord for help. There's an easier way normally in Maybe just want to say this as well, perhaps not so much for all of you here. I think you know this, but maybe somebody listening, I don't think we should buy into the theology that says that everything is going to go fantastic and well and our bank account is going to be full and our fridge is going to be full. There's going to be ice cream in the freezer. We're always going to have gas for the braai or plenty of wood for the real braai. And we're just going to have friends all over the place. As long as we're following Jesus and listening to Him, Nothing is ever going to, we're not going to get a flat tire. We don't even have to put petrol in our car. And I think that's a bad view of who God is and the way God. So I'm not trying to say here that we're in perhaps a difficult space, feeling overwhelmed because we were doing evil in the Lord's sight. In this case, it was an outflow of their evil. Sometimes it's just an outflow of a stupidity that we struggle. But sometimes it's an outflow of life. It's just life happens. Sometimes it's just the fact that we live in the midst of a broken people, that we ourselves in some ways are broken. We live in a broken world. There's brokenness all around, and that affects us. And so I'm not saying that if you've been struggling or you're in a place where you're feeling overwhelmed, that it is only because you're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So just for clarity around that. But then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. And He said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from those who oppressed you, from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. And in I, when I used to read, and my default, when I read passages like this, it's amazing how I I zoom into that negative, but you have not listened to me, and I read this as a sense of the prophet bringing judgment, and I think there is an an element of that in the prophet's message, but I, I wonder how often we read, and I was just challenged to read this differently recently, to see God saying as they cried out, to God in the midst of their being overwhelmed, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of the, God, we actually don't know which way to turn. We are starving, and we don't have a way out of this. A part of this, God perhaps, is God saying, I've done this before. A part of this is God saying, there was a situation that you're in now that was even worse than this, and I did it. I brought you out of the slavery in Egypt. Where you are now is bad, but slavery in Egypt was worse. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and I gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. Don't worship anyone else but me. God has answered that prayer before. And as we're sitting here, perhaps if there are areas where we're overwhelmed, areas where we're struggling, Most of us, as we sit here, we're able to recount times when God answered our prayers. This morning, Tian came forward and he just shared briefly how God has just recently answered his prayers in beautiful ways. And most of us, probably, we perhaps have a journal, we have memories. There are times we can point back to where God answered our prayers. I sense God is wanting to read this passage, not as a hiding, you didn't listen to me and now you're struggling, but as an invitation, you're crying out to me, I've done this before. A stirring of faith. I can imagine, I would hope, him hearing this and the prophet sending this message that something in the hearts of Israel, oh, we serve a God who can. We're in a deep. Troublesome spot now, but God has brought us out of worse spots before. Perhaps also I want to say that this message is a really big one for us as individuals. I sense God is wanting to stir something in our hearts, but I also sense just collectively the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to us as a church today, this morning and this evening, just bring some truths about how He sees us and what He sees over us. In a sense, church has gone through some of the struggles over the last two and a half years. You guys have been around just having a building, not having a building, being at the school, not being at the school, setting up at my house, not setting up at my house, being at Philadelphia, just running crazy. Just, God, we want to follow you and just being hard and everything being turned upside down. Some of us investing into small groups and into lives, investing into leaders, investing into friends and for circumstances beyond their control, they're deciding to move on to different parts of the country, to different places. And it's like some of what we've just been invested it feels a little bit like the marauders have come and stolen. But I sense God wants to remind us that there where we are now is not the first time we have been here. There where you are in your life is not the first time you have been there, that God has answered those prayers before and then the angel of the Lord came and he sat beneath a great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, "Mighty hero, the Lord is with you." Once again, this passage, when I would read it in the past, I would read this as Gideon being a bit of a fearful man. I would read Gideon perhaps being a coward in his nature. When I read this recently, I read maybe there's a different way to read this. Maybe Gideon is the one who in the midst of all of this oppression is actually stepping out onto the threshing floor and providing food for his family. He is actually the one who is brave enough to step out and to say, we're going to do this. We're going to make this work. He's not the one who's just cowering in his room, but he's stepping out. Yes, he's doing it in hiding. He's been forced into hiding, but he is still doing what his family requires of him to do. And then the word of the Lord comes to him and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I believe that that is two words at the same time. On the one hand, it is a prophetic word speaking into Gideon, into his identity about how God sees him. And what he will become, but at the same time, it's an acknowledgement of who God has already He is already a mighty hero. He is already the one who, in the midst of oppression, is stepping out and doing what others are not willing to do. He is already the one who God is breathing upon, and then the Lord turned to him. Wait, I'm skipping on verses there. Verse 13, Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? To us, and where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And here is a guy; in this case his feeling so overwhelmed. In his case, his faith has shipwrecked. He feels that he is in a situation because God has deserted him. He feels that there, where he is right now is evidence of the absence of God. And yet God there is busy speaking to him right now and saying, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. He's saying, Gideon, the next verse is verse 14, and the Lord said to turn to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I'm sending you. As I was praying for us as a church, I just sense God begin to, wants to release these words over us. That He wants to look at you. He wants to look over us as a church. And He wants to say the first words that He spoke to Gideon there are, mighty hero. Yes, mighty hero in what you will become, but also mighty hero in who you already are. Go with the strength that you have. It's interesting in this translation here, it doesn't say I'm going to give you a whole bunch of strength that you haven't received yet. The strength I've given you is already enough. Go in the strength that you have. Go and take the land from the Midianites. I am sending you. I'm sending you because I am with you. And I sense God wants to say that over our lives individually and over us as a church. Go, you hero mighty hero, as this translation says, other translations, mighty man of valor, go, I am sending you. You already have the strength that you need. You have the strength that you need to go back to your workplace, to go back to your family, to go back to the places where you're feeling overwhelmed right now because I am with you not going to read the rest of the story, but Gideon from here steps out and he rips down an altar to Baal. He takes his father's oxen and he kills the oxen and he kind of has this big bride, uses the altar that he's ripped down as firewood and he burns his dad's oxen and he is just upset uh, the whole town overnight. So much so the next day they want to kill him and bless the Lord for his dad. His dad stands up and says, why do you need to fight for Baal? Surely Baal can fight for himself. Gideon raises up from there, but Gideon has to step out first. And I'm not saying, please, I'm not saying go and just rip down a whole bunch of buildings and burn all your dead stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But I am sensing God is wanting us to begin to step into an element of boldness that He has prepared for us. That He wants to look over you, that He wants to look over Gideon and say, Gideon, you don't have to be in hiding anymore. There is a place of freedom that I am calling you to. And so every one of us, we have different places where we minister. I love the fact that you're just a few people here this evening, but tomorrow morning when you go to your work, when you go to your class, when you go to your life tomorrow, you are going to interact with people who I as a pastor have no chance of getting close to. People who aren't going to step into a church. They're not going to pick up a telephone to phone the pastor. They're probably not going to in the time of tragedy and hurt and confusion, find a Bible and seek an answer there. But you are in their life. But you rub shoulders with them, but you have coffee with them. You're able to invite them for a lunch. You're able to say, listen, I see you're struggling. Can I pray with you? I'm going to trust God for a word. And one of the reasons why I'm really trusting God to restore a spirit of prophecy here to our church for us to begin to pray, to prophesy over one another, to lay hands, to pray into one another's life. It's because this is a great place to practice. It's got incredible value when we do it here as well. But you know, if we do it here and we're praying for people and we're hearing the Lord's voice and they're responding and saying, yes, that is what God is saying to me tomorrow morning when I'm at the cafeteria or I'm working walking across my campus where I work or where I study or whatever it is and I sense the Holy Spirit say, go speak to that person. There's more of a boldness to do that. I've never been in the army. I think a part of me would have loved being in the army as long as I didn't have to go to war. All of the toys you get to play with. and But I, what I have done is I've watched a whole bunch of war movies. I don't quite think that counts. But in terms of discipline and, and really being in the army, but studied and read up a lot about war. And you know, one of the things that for me is just so beautiful is the way that armies, proper, effective armies are structured. You have, say, a general, and this general has a bunch of different units under him, commanded by, say, colonels. And this general has a specific goal. This general has a strategy that he wants to achieve. The general has something that he has a strategic objective that he needs to work towards. And perhaps there are a couple of generals even working towards, and they've got, they've got different strategic objectives. But all together, it, it meshes together into a plan. And so this general could have a bunch of different units at his disposal, and he could say to this unit, I want you to act in this way. I want you to get in your tanks, your helicopters, whatever it is, and I want you to go and take that town. He could say to a different group, I want you guys to stay here and build a hospital. He could say to a different group, I want you to go and don't engage, don't shoot anyone, just go and scout out, just take your binoculars and just go see what is going on on the other side of those hills or fly your drones over Every one of them have got different tasks to fulfill. When I look at the church of Jesus, I see Jesus doing something very similar. I see Jesus coming and and speaking to a church down the road in whichever direction, and He gives them a clear instruction, a purpose, a goal, a direction in which they can go, and He can give another church down the road equally loving Him a different direction, a different instruction, and say to this group, I want you to do this in this way, and to this group, I want you to do this in this way. And one of the mistakes we make as churches is we say all of church must look like this or all of church must look like this. This is, doing, this is really working for them and now this church must do what works for them except this church mustn't do what works for them because this church has, you don't build a hospital in the same way that you take a town. And so I'm super comfortable with the idea that Jesus gives us different instructions and different calls and different mandates at different times. That he hasn't called the whole church across the globe all the time. Yes, we are all going to the same end goal, the glory of Christ, the salvation of souls. Hell empty, heaven full, his kingdom come. But the way in which it finds expression looks different to every one of us. And so, one of the things that is so important that we need to press into is we really need to embrace who has God called us to be? And not be intimidated by who has called the church down the road to be. We love them. We celebrate them. When they take the town that the generals called them to take, and we hear news of that, we are elated because it's a victory for the team. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we stop what we're doing and we run to go now and help take the time. Unless the general says, "Now you go and support them. Then obviously that's one thing. So we need to embrace who God has called us to be, and I know one of the things that He has called us to be is a church filled with ministers as opposed to a church with a minister. I know that one of the things that God wants us to do is not to have two or three people up here and we are the people who preach and we are the people who pray and we are the people who lay hands on. We do that too. But then we are the people who pray And we are the people who preach. And we are the people who lay hands on. And we step into our different environments. And I just have a a knowledge in my heart that perhaps for now at least, God doesn't want us to be six or 60 or 600,000 strong in a church, but He wants us to be a people where every one of us is equipped to do what He's called us to do. To step out where He wants us to step out, to, to hear His voice, to be able to minister the gospel in a beautiful way. And so the Encounter series and Bible school for us, those are going to remain non-negotiable. I was saying to some other guys, should we continue to do it? I said, if there are only two people and I'm the only teacher, I'm going to keep doing it. Because I know that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to continue to invest in people who can be leaders and ministers in whichever space we find ourselves. We need to embrace that. Phrased in the wording of Gideon here, I really believe God wants every one of us. God sees every one of us as mighty heroes for His kingdom. And so I'm going to just say this again, and perhaps the last couple of months or years or whatever, haven't always been active around these, but I think it is so important for us, just like we did a little bit tonight, to not only push into His presence, but to push into His purpose. To push into His love, His grace, but to push into the why He has put us here. The why He has put me here. And so perhaps as a leader, part of one of the things that I sense God is just encouraging me to do is just to push us a little bit more. To push you a little bit more. To say, God's got more for you. One of the things that I'm learning more and more and being reminded of more and more is that for us, pressing into God is normally uncomfortable in some way. It normally challenges the flesh, it challenges the nature of the human inside of me. It challenges the sight that I can walk by because I'm called to walk by faith. And that's uncomfortable. Since God is saying for us, it's time to embrace the uncomfortable. I can imagine for Gideon this night, stepping out from there, out of the threshing floor where he was hiding, or where he was, he was beneath the, what does he, he was hiding under the wine press, to step out from there and to say, Gideon, there is no need for you to hide anymore. That's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable if for seven years we've learned to hide. And our God says, stop hiding. We see some of, some of the passage, sort of a parallel passage of sorts and in Matthew 16. From then on, Jesus began, perhaps just a backstory. What's just happened here is Simon Peter has just had this awesome revelation that shapes and changes all of creation, where he says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." He knows this now. He has just had this moment. Where Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Simon, well done. You've received something from the Father here. And then Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. That he would suffer many terrible things at the hand of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Before we carry on, he's saying to his disciples, he is going to be uncomfortable. He is going to go through stuff that's going to be uncomfortable for him, and it's going to be uncomfortable for his followers. And then Peter, bless his heart. I take so much encouragement from him because I'm just as useless as he is at times. Because Peter took him aside, and he had verses in Scripture some weird sentences and thoughts and phrases, and this has to be right up there with the most ridiculous thing in Scripture. Peter has just had the revelation, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has just had this mind-boggling, life-altering moment that when we come to that, we realize, whoa, this is who Jesus is. And then what's the first thing he does when he knows who Jesus is? He tells Jesus how wrong he is. (laughs) He begins to reprimand Jesus. No, Jesus, that is not right. That's not what's going to happen. It's amazing how easily we step into that. We bring our agenda, our plan, and in this context, our need for comfort to Jesus. No, 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 Jesus, you can't be serious about becoming uncomfortable. That's not how these things work, Jesus. And look what Jesus answers to him heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, not Peter, not get away from me, friend, not get away from me, guy, who I love. Get away from me, Satan. You see, this thing, this word that you're bringing right here is satanic in its nature and in its source. It's from the pit of hell. He says, get behind me, Satan. Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. The trap is the idea that I can run away from the uncomfortable. The dangerous trap is that I don't have to go through the hurt and the pain. The dangerous trap is that the human way is better than the God way. And Jesus says to him, You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Peter get behind me, Satan. you wanting to lead me astray. you wanting to speak to my flesh, and we must remember this, that Jesus, as much as he was 100% God, he was also 100% human. This was a a trap for him. He gets upset because it's not just, get behind me, Peter. No, man, silly Peter. No, no, no. It's like, Peter, this is what you're bringing. This is dangerous to me. This can lead me astray. If my flesh takes hold of this, it's going to do serious damage to the Lord's purpose for my life. So get behind me, Satan, because you are not seeing this through God's eyes. You're seeing this through human's eyes. You're seeing it through human viewpoint, not the godly viewpoint. And then Jesus carries on. So that's kind of where He's speaking about. And this is the next verse that we read. just want to say this explicitly because the context runs through. Then Jesus said to His disciples, if any of you, wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, in the phrasing we're using this evening, it's going to be uncomfortable to follow Jesus. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, over the last few days, again and again, I I just read, felt the Holy Spirit just once again lead me to read this differently. You see, there are two ways we can read this. We can read this about all of the things that God is calling us to give up. We can read this as a death sentence. We can read this as God holding this huge high bar in front of us. Or we can read this as an invitation to life. I want you just for a moment just to think. Think of the thing that gives you the most joy, the space, the... the, the, um, activity, the study, whatever it is, a, a topic that, that you just really enjoy. That if you could, you'd do that for the rest of your life. You'd read about that, work into that, study into that, play with that, whatever it is, for the rest of your life. You all have some topic like that. and I want you to think of the is the best, or the lady who stands out above, the one that everyone looks to, aspires to, the one who sets the standard for that field. Like you all have that person. you got that person in your mind's eye. Tomorrow morning, when you arrive at your desk, you receive an email from them inviting you to come and join them on the next project. But in order to do that, you need to leave what you're doing now to go and join them. I wonder how many of us would be so stuck with the reality that there is something we need to, or would we be drawn in by the fact that we've been invited? Would we be caught up in the fact that we have to just pause what we're doing now, or would we be do? I'm going to have the adventure of a lifetime. Anybody in my shoes would dream for this opportunity. And I began to realize as I read this, that this is not a sentence to death. This is Jesus inviting us to life. And I realized that as we read this, depending on how we read this, perhaps it, it demonstrates, in a sense, the state of our heart. And So I want us in just a moment to pray for one another. I want us to pray for one another, as I said, because it's good practice. There's value in it. I'd love praying for each one of you as well. Come and stand in your queue lay hands. I would love to do that. And there's a, we will continue to do that. And there's blessing in that. There's a time and a place for that. But I also understand that God wants to empower us to pray. He wants to give us confidence to pray. There's something powerful when we lay hands on one another, not only when whoever happens to stand in front here lays hands on us. But as we read this, I realize that it it highlights the state of our heart to us. You see, if we read this and we see this as a death sentence, we see this as if I want to follow Jesus, I have to give all of these things up. Then our following of Jesus becomes duty and obligation. Then it's Jesus, I'm doing this from a cold heart, in a sense. I'm doing this because I'm required to do this. Jesus, I'm now stepping out and I'm following you and I'm doing, I'm, I'm laying down my life, God, but it's hard for me to. And it's, it's a wrestle and it's a struggle, God. and All of these things that I'm giving up, but Jesus, you are worthy, so I'm doing it. The other way we can read this is if we read this to an invitation. We realize that the king, the creator of the all, whole universe, the lover of our soul, The one who holds death and life in His hands is reaching out His hand to us and He's saying, come with me. And our response is, yes, I'm coming. You see, if our response is because we know His goodness and His grace and His love, if our response is, then it's not one of duty, then it's not one of this big sacrifice and the cold-heartedness You see, if we're stepping in and we're doing it in duty, we're doing it because of responsibility, we're doing it because of a sense of correctness in who we are, that is going to lead to emptiness. We're not doing it from a place of overflow. If we're stepping in and we're saying, Jesus is inviting me and I'm stepping into this river that He is inviting me and there's some stuff that's going to fall off along the way, but that doesn't matter because I'm stepping into this river of life. We're doing it from a place of being overwhelmed with His love. We know that He's inviting us in grace and in goodness. so I want us to pray for one another. Most of us, we're going to fall into one of those two categories. I want us in a moment to turn to one another, and I want you just to be very honest with each other, and to say, when you read this, which side do you fall on? And then we're going to pray with you. Because if you fall into the... Duty, obligation, must do this, all of the stuff I have to give up. I sense, and I'm hesitant to say this because I know it's being recorded and it can be misused. But I sense God is saying, if that is where you are, there is grace for now not to follow. What do I mean by that? He says, first come and know my love. Just come and sit and come to a place where you taste and see my goodness. We come and experience right now this word that I sense God is wanting to speak over you is not do more and be more and accomplish more and step out because that's what you're going to hear. He's just saying, just come to know my love for you. And so we're going to pray that over you if that's where you are. If God has done that in your heart and you're at a place where from love and from grace, from a knowledge of His goodness, you're like, yes, Jesus, I'm coming. I sense God wants us to speak the words of Gideon over one another. The words that He spoke to Gideon and He says, mighty hero, I am sending you. You see, God wants to send every one of us. God looks at every one of us as a mighty hero. But what I sense God doesn't want to do is He doesn't want to send dry religious of duty and obligation. He doesn't want to send us from a place of, in a sense, dry religion into a dry world. He'd rather say, stay and wait and drink from the fountain a little longer. Because when you go, you're going to go full with rivers of living water. And then you don't burn out. And then you don't run and grow weary, as scripture says. Then you don't come to the place where it's too much, and all of these people have asked so much of me, and I can't give any more. Yes, we get tired. But there's a place there where his word and his work becomes a satisfaction. Where Jesus Himself said, My work is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work, but not from a place of duty and obligation, from a place of love and relational obedience, a place of knowing that the King of all of the universe is inviting me to journey with Him. God wants to say over us as a church, we don't have to hide anymore. He wants to say to you, you don't have to hide anymore. You can come out of hiding. You don't have to hide under the winepress. Don't worry about being overwhelmed. He's already given you the strength. But let's go from a place of love and acceptance. Let's work from acceptance, not for acceptance. We go and follow Christ because He has received us. We don't go and follow Christ hoping He will receive us. We go because we have tasted, because we have seen and then he says, I am sending you. God wants to speak that over us, I, two slightly different battle you. And tonight he's sending us perhaps for a moment to two slightly different battlefields. For some of us he's saying, I am sending you to the inner room. I am sending you to taste and see that I am good. I'm sending you to discover my love. And for some of us he's saying, I am sending you. To a dying and a broken world because you have tasted and seen my love you see one of the the dangerous things that could happen is if we are moving from a place of obligation and duty we minister obligation and duty and we draw people into obligation and duty because we haven't tasted love and grace So God wants us first just to be overwhelmed, saturated with His love and grace so that when we step out into others, that's what we are inviting them into. And He is willing, more than willing, to slow down for as long as it takes for us to taste and see that He is good. So that when we go, we go because He is good, not because we want Him to be good. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I want to pray For one another, groups of two or three, be honest with one another. Where do you fall? When you read this, not after I've explained this, when you read this the first time, what is it that you heard? And then trust God, either for a moment of healing and restoration to taste His goodness, or a moment of release to step out and to give it to others, what He has given to us. So, Jesus, thank You for Your Word, which is always, Lord. It's alive, Lord, and Your Spirit breathes on it. and You allow us to to taste and to see that You are good and Your heart, which is so evident for us, that You are for us and not against us, Lord, that Your Word over us is mighty hero. And so we say, Jesus, we receive Your Word, even if we don't always see it, even here in our place of hiding, We receive, Jesus, that you call us as mighty heroes. Thank you for the strength that you have given us, Lord. That as we go, we know there's always more strength. But even as you say, go in the strength that you have given us, Lord. We receive that. We receive that you are sending us, Lord. You are sending us to a broken city, to broken families, to broken communities, to broken schools, to broken universities, to broken workplaces, Lord, to broken lives all over. We receive that, Lord. But Lord, we also acknowledge that some of us right now, we aren't able to go, Lord. And Jesus, I thank You for the abundance of grace that we don't have to go just yet, Lord. That we can Take a moment to stand still and allow you to come and change how we hear your invitation, Lord. Jesus, we want to hear your invitation to life and not your sentence of death. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's do that for a moment. Let's turn to one another. Let's really minister to one another this evening. Take a moment and share where you're at, which one of the two and then let's really trust God that in our prayer, He is going to come and work either a place of healing or a place of release, whichever is necessary for this time. Amen.